Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from a leader in design software for the hardware industry on developing a product for full lifecycle sustainability. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Dave Duncan to the show. Dave is the Vice President of Sustainability at PTC Corp, the company behind multiple product design software solutions, including Onshape and Creo. He has spent over 20 years in the product design software world and has his Bachelor's of Engineering from Princeton University. Today, Dave is going to share some valuable knowledge for inventors, startups, and small manufacturers on what it means to develop a sustainable product, what the three different types of product sustainability are, and how to use modern best practices in ensuring your product is the most marketable by including sustainable as one of your key product development priorities. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Dave, I'm excited to have you on today to talk about sustainability, specifically in product development. Sustainability is obviously a big buzzword, and there's lots of media hype around it, lots of sales value around it, lots of global value around sustainability. But the question is, if you're a new hardware startup or you're a product brand and you're looking to redevelop your product for sustainability, how do you think about that from the early days? And what better person than to have you on the show today to talk about everything from starting from the early days of developing a product all the way through to the actual product lifecycle management. Now, before we get into all of that, just give us a bit of a history of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I got a civil engineering degree initially, but if you ever see a bridge with my name on it, don't drive over it. I went in the army right afterwards before I got my engineering certificate. And when I got out, software was just really appealing for me in the late 90s. So I switched careers, got into that, you know, right away into ERP, which does manufacturing. Then I got into a startup for service software. Uh, which was acquired twice, ultimately by PTC. So I've done service software, manufacturing software, and engineering software as well. So covered the life cycle. About three months ago, we started a new role at the company for sustainability because it's just at the forefront of manufacturing now. So we're giving it you know, a good funded discipline. So my new role is to work across all of our product groups to determine, hey, how do capabilities in each thing that we offer move the needle for manufacturers that are trying to build sustainable products to design, manufacture, and service them. Yeah, that's amazing. I love how you look at all of those three elements. Let's break it down. What does it mean to design, manufacture, and service in and around the topic of sustainability, especially for a hardware product? Yeah. So just first, maybe high level for sustainability. It's a word that everybody hears. It's everywhere, whether you're sustainability, green, ESG, whatever it might be. The fundamental of sustainability is that our generation desires to leave the planet in a space or a condition for the next generation to enjoy it as much as we have. So that's effectively what we're trying to do at a high level. And if you break that down in the terms of how a hardware startup can participate, it's reducing carbon impact of your manufacturing operation and service 
and also reducing the amount of material waste that you have along the way, right? As far as extracting minerals from the ground, using it in your products, waste from manufacturing, and then, you know, ultimately end of life, what do you do with it? Can you take big modules off of it? Can you recycle it? Is it buried in the ground? Is it somewhere in between? So it really boils down to the main impacts that we've seen are around carbon emissions specifically and waste. That's very helpful. I like how you broke down those three elements to it. And it's key to understand from the earlier phases, the earlier that you understand sustainability, the easier it is to actually implement that, not only to your product, but in terms of your entire product business as well. So break it down. What can a hardware startup do in the early days to get ahead of and be a beacon for sustainability? Yeah. One thing I haven't covered, we can cover it later, is you can design a product that that's purpose is to move the needle on sustainability. But more in general, whether you're doing planes, trains, automobiles, shoes, whatever it might be, you know, generically, there's things that you can do and we'll cover that. So if you think all the way at the forefront of your product design, the first thing you need to do is understand, hey, what do you have to do? And then what is what can you optionally do that could potentially give you differentiation for sustainability? Right. There's certain things that you have to do for like reach and rows for hazmat. You know, more and more there are carbon reporting standards that are coming out in various regions that you may want to go to market in, whether the European Union being a big one, they have some of the leading more stringent ones. U.S. is a fast follower in that regard, and there's others. So regionally, you need to understand those and make sure that they're baked into your requirements, which will ultimately link to your design specs, whether that's CAD and PLM combined or just CAD. So that's sort of the the first aspect of it. Now, the second aspect is historically the way that this has been done is you design your product according to your requirements. When you're at a much later stage gate, you either organically or outsource it to a environmental engineer who'll do what's called a life cycle analysis of your design. And they will peel back the onion on all of your materials and all of your manufacturing processes and geographically where you're sourcing it from, where you're manufacturing it, where your sales distribution will be, operations, et cetera, the full assessment. It's a very specific thing to do and involved. The output's super useful and insightful. The problem is it's so late in the life cycle. And if you're going to take any of the learnings from that at that stage, you need two things that a startup doesn't have. You need time and money. You could significantly have to delay your launch to make big changes and it'll cost you a bunch of money to make those big changes. So we're finding as more and more you can use software to advise on those decisions very early on. For example, if you're in CAD and you're making a material and or manufacturing process decision, or what you do very often in a startup as a hardware manufacturer, you're assembling components that you buy from component manufacturers. So whether it's raw material for a make part, components for a buy part, and then manufacturing process thereof, you have databases that you can link to that can return information to give you information about what is its embodied carbon at the point that you receive it and reach rows hazmat. How recyclable is it? How much does it weigh if you're developing a mobility product? And it can roll all those up. So it can inform you, hey, so far your design looks like it has these types of impacts based upon those inputs. And then you can go ahead and explore alternative materials, manufacturing process components, and see how that you know changes that prediction 
if you will. It's not as thorough as an LCA, but it gets you 80% of the way. And frankly, it's those big decisions that you want to make up front and they're going to be reasonably right. You're not going to have to change them later on. That's a good way for it to flow. That's such great advice. I mean, I can tell you from the product development standpoint, when we're looking at a new project, if we've scoped out certain elements of sustainability before we've even gone down the path of sketching and doing the CAD, even initial conceptual CAD designs, there's a lot of decisions that are being made by industrial designers, mechanical engineers, electronic engineers that are related to those original specifications or the product requirements that a hardware startup or a hardware brand is trying to achieve with their product. Well, if one of those line items is certain level of sustainability. Maybe it's around the materials, the carbon footprint. I mean, those two things could be combined. Many other elements of the product, including the components that go into it or the build or how it's being built. All of those things will factor in to help the IDs, EEs, MEs figure out the path of least resistance to create the specifications that you want with the features you want, the design that you want, but also with the sustainability that you're looking for. And because the tools like Onshape as an example, obviously we're a big user of that at Maco Design and we're a big fan of PTC. One of the biggest advantages that we find in using the tools that are actually embedded in the software is to be able to have that knowledge right at our fingertips quickly so that we can almost iteratively consider design these things or trial and error them a bit to try and figure out, okay, can I use this recycled material in this particular part? Let's try it out. Doesn't look like it's working. Okay, how about this thicker version of that same recycled material? Try it out. Okay, that seems to have the rigidity that we are looking for in that certain part. Now, these are the sorts of decisions that are happening at very small levels throughout the development process well before it gets to the end final spec in the original way that you mentioned, when you get to that lifecycle management individual who looks at it and says, well, now we need to shave all these things to reverse the design. It's much easier to do it in the early phases, even in that original specification document, so that you can push your designers, your engineers, et cetera, to figure out those details, utilize the software and the technology that's baked in it to figure that stuff out, then produce a product that's hitting those metrics at least as close as possible before you get into manufacturing. Like you said, most of the time you're going to get it there 80% of the way, which really does happen if you've thought about it from day one. It'll be baked into the design naturally and organically from those designers and then creates a better product at the end of the day as well that hits the sustainability metrics that you are looking for right out of the gate. Plus, you can sell that. It's a sellable feature. And that's one of the big points of sustainability. It's not just about saving the environment. Obviously, that's incredible. And that's great. And it makes you feel good. But know that consumers demand this more than ever before. So you're doing something that's good for the environment, but you're also doing something that's good for your business. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just B2C products, it's B2B products as well. So just a quick lesson on how the economics work there is companies more and more are reporting their emissions footprint. And a big part of a company's footprint is their purchased goods and services. So when you're selling a hardware product to a business, you know that business will have to account for the embodied carbon in that product that they buy from you, as well as any carbon that's generated by your product during its life to include its waste if it's thrown out. So those are all things that they don't want to have to accrue on their balance sheet of carbon that they're reporting on. So they will look for vendors that do two things. One, they already offer a green product. And secondly, are on a trajectory to reduce carbon over time and have some sort of commitment to do that. So there's big buying decisions there. If you look at salesforce.com as an example, you know they put out a memo in 2021 that says, hey, if you're a supplier of ours and you expect to renew 
with us in 2023 for 2024 and beyond. They're saying, hey, we need to see that you've baselined your carbon, that you have such commitments to do so, or we're going to put it in the contract that you have to do that. Or potentially it's implied that if you're not going to do that and you're not going to accept those contract terms, we'll find somebody else. So it's becoming a mandate. And that's an advantage as a startup. Like you can move faster on that than a large company. Like you can come out of the gate with one, a greener product, and two, a faster commitment to drive down towards net zero in a shorter amount of time. And those are all things that will factor into RFIs with your customers. It's coming fast and it's a super opportunity for you as a startup to do this. It's nice to see it's happening at the corporate level, the consumer level, and now obviously design and manufacturing level as well. Right. Because all of this stuff really helps to improve the overall global economy in and around sustainability. Not only are we creating better innovations, newer products that help people in some way or another, as all innovations should or ought to, and most of them, that's the goal. They're also helping improve the future. And that's a big part of the value of what you're offering, but it's also very enjoyable to work on. I can tell you from the design perspective, designers love that stuff. We love when somebody's really thinking about the full life cycle of their product and how that actually is going to evolve over time. That pairs very nicely with what you're saying about corporate as well, because they have an increasing mandate over time. So if you can get in now with a sustainable first product, as your product evolves, or as you come up with second or third versions, or just other supplementary products, as you're building your brand over the years, you've already cracked the door open to a corporation that is basically telling you that they are going to expand into this category over time. So as your business expands, so is theirs in terms of a purchasing channel. What a great relationship. Yeah, exactly. They'll want to expand with you if you're a high performer out of the gate. Yeah, no doubt. Dave, can you talk a bit about manufacturing and some of the value that you're seeing in sustainability or some of the methods that are helping produce products in a more sustainable way at the manufacturing level. And then after that, I'd like to talk about life cycle. Yeah. Okay. So manufacturing, it varies widely. Reasonably verified statistic is that 80% of a product's footprint overall, whether it's carbon, waste, material, 80% of its footprint is determined at design time. So like all those decisions and the different data that we just talked about that you can use for a design to include the manufacturing process will predetermine 80%. And then there's 20% that you can do you know, in the factory to reduce that further. But as a startup, you're most likely using contract manufacturers. So I'll explain a little bit about what a large-scale contract manufacturer might do in regards. And there's a couple things they'll do there. One is bottleneck analysis, and the second is energy management. So what bottleneck analysis is, is usually within a factory, your problem children are a Pareto. So if you have 100 machines in your factory, just use a round number, it's usually eight to 10 of them that cause you problems, where it's causing too much scrap, you're using too much energy, it has too much downtime, or you have things that are turned on and they're not producing. So you're, the energy use usage per unit manufactured is going down and your waste goes up in your scrap. And of course, that causes sustainability issues, but it's also directly linked to the, the bottom line as well. So with bottleneck analysis, you focus your censoring and your analysis on those eight to 10 machines. And one by one, you discover and you mitigate 
the next most severe issue. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Okay, so that's generally what your contract manufacturers will do to reduce the footprint of your process. The other is energy management, which is basically just sort of lightly censoring, say, all 100 machines in the same factory, and then having upper and lower control limits on its energy use so you can find if something's wrong and then operate efficiently. But Kevin, I think part of what you're trying to get at is like, should you use additive? Should you use subtractive? Should you use this or that? Or should you use aluminum? Should you use steel? And, and frankly, there's so many variables that come in play there, but there's certain simulations that help a lot. Like a priori is a partner of PTCs. And what they do is they sell to manufacturers who make digital models of their factory machines and process capabilities in their software. And you can upload a CAD model to it and it will spit back an estimate of, hey, how much is it going to cost to manufacture this? And how much footprint is it going to produce? And not only that, but also give you the reasons why and how you can change that. Like, for example, you may use, say, hey, I want to use aluminum because it's lighter. It's more malleable for a cleaner manufacturing process. But then it may end up, it's like, well, you know, just to get the aluminum in the first place has much more embodied carbon than iron does. So you might be better off getting dirtier, heavier iron up front and then using a, a cleaner manufacturing process or maybe all else being equal. How do you flip the coin? Well, aluminum is like 100% recyclable and maybe some other metals aren't. So it'll take all those things into consideration in a way that you know, a design engineer can consume the information. Like it, it'll curate the answer back to you as a CAD designer, not in an environmental engineering language, but in, in something that's actionable for you to, to make that decision. So I can't really say that, hey, additive is always better than subtractive or casting or whatever it might be. It all depends. It's so correlated with you know, how the product's going to be used. Does weight matter? How's it extracted? Is it extracted in Finland versus Chile? All sorts of factors there. There's simulation software that can help you make those decisions. The most powerful thing is just to have it top of mind, right? Look yeah. at all the different analysis that you're talking about here, Dave. Exactly. There's a lot of considerations that go into it that most people, especially in the early development phases of a product or in the startup phases, or even in the ideation phases of the product overall, you're just not thinking about. But as you get closer and closer to creating a design and then actually designing it yourself, then actually designing it professionally and properly, and then going through all the processes for engineering, prototyping, et cetera, to get it to production, you should be increasing your consideration if sustainability is a metric that matters to you and it should matter to you. So as that goes through the process, you're increasing your knowledge base more and more. I love how you brought up that statistic that 80% of the product's carbon waste footprint is essentially predetermined in that development phase. This is where you're making the decisions that will affect how it's produced. How it's produced is really where that carbon footprint is affected. So if you're very careful throughout the process of thinking forward on how you're actually going to do all of this, then you should be much further ahead than if you try and do it retroactively. That comes to the manufacturing level as you mentioned, there's a little bit more that you can do there. And again, if you're conscious of it and you work with your factory, of course, you're not going to find the answers here today on the show. But by planting that seed in your mind, hopefully you will have those conversations with your producer, especially as you scale and especially as you grow, so that not only have you designed a product that's great, sustainable, but you're also working with the factory so that they're as efficient as possible as well. And that leads to the last part, which is the actual life cycle of the product itself, which is something that is often probably the most overlooked category of the concept of design for sustainability is what happens to your product in its journey and in its essentially its death. And that's where the last part of this should be thought about. And I'd like you to highlight what you've seen in terms of life cycle management, Dave, and best practices yeah. around that. Yeah. So this is what they call the, the circular economy or having a circular product 
product and it's sort of new emerging field. It's getting a lot of attention, but there's not a huge amount of answers there yet. But I'll, I'll talk about a few areas that can help a startup. You know, the first is, is you want to design your product so when it is end of life, that as much of that material as possible can be recovered. And what I mean by that is not like 100% recyclability. You should strive to do better than that, which is if you have a modular design of the product, if you just think of like big Lego bricks, you should be able to take out sizable Lego bricks from that end of life product and either restock that in a service parts warehouse or bring that back for remanufacturing into a new product. And for whatever's left, Yes, you want to make sure that that can be extracted and recycled in a commercially practical way, whether it cycles back as material back in your factory or a secondary market or compost. Those are the first more like technical engineering aspects that you should think about. The other is your commercial arrangements to make that happen. And that can be a massive advantage for you as well. You know, today and now, if you have a product and you stock it in, Walmart or somewhere and somebody buys it, you've lost control of it. You have no idea what's going to happen to that once it's uh, end of life. Now, if you have some other relationship with your customer, like I just ordered a pair of shoes. I've never done this before. I went on a whim, uh, some running shoes. Like I'm in a new sustainability role. I got to find some shoes. So I found this shoe company and they had this CAD diagram with a shoe and it described all the materials and the carbon footprint and how recyclable it is. Like literally all of it's compostable or reusable, except for, I think, just some polyester stitching around the laces. And they say, hey, Dave, we're going to sell you these shoes. We're going to ship them to you. If you ever want a new pair of shoes from us, you can send back your old pair and we'll give you a 10% discount. So they have this business model where I'm going to send back the shoes when I'm done with it. And they're going to get value out of that material to build new shoes. And they've got me for a resale because I'm going to go back and like, I get a 10% discount, send me another one. And I'm going to feel good about it too. Because I'm sending it back. So, I mean, that's a simple example. It's a shoe, but you know that type of out of the shoebox thinking, if you will, is you know what's going to win in the startup markets for you. So, that's so powerful because yeah. think about how that increases the probability of fully lengthening your customer relationship for exactly. the the lifetime of that customer. Right. You haven't just sold one shoe; you've potentially sold a lifetime of shoes with that customer. You've created a brand ambassador. You've created yeah. sustainable circle around that product. There's so many pieces of value beyond just the sustainability element for doing things in this way, that even if you're just looking at the hardcore dollars and cents, which I always believe you should look beyond, but even if you're just looking at the dollars and cents, understand that there's both direct value that's happening from this relationship and indirect. So look at the two of those and really try and look at that over the life of your business that you're trying to build. How does that actually start compounding over time? And some of these examples, I love the shoe example, are really powerful in terms of how you can think about this in the early design phases of your idea to think about your product beyond just those first sales and how it actually can build your brand as you accelerate, not just by adding more products, but adding more loopback cycles with your customers and with the actual materials that you sold your customers. Right. Yep. It maintains the relationship. Customer feels good. You make money, repeat sales. It's a great product market fit to do circular design. Dave, I'd like to talk a bit about the tools in Onshape and how that's helping accelerate the design mm-hmm. in sustainability. Can you yeah. just highlight some of that? And as well, for anybody listening, we'll have a link below that you can try out the software for free and give it a whirl and try some of these tools yourself. Yeah, of course. So a lot of the things that we talked about today, you know, whether it's standalone and Onshape or if it's Onshape with Arena for PLM, we look to offer Onshape slash Arena as like your home system. 
Like Kevin, you mentioned it earlier that you're a designer, you want to be in your CAD product, like on shape all day, every day. And you want the data to kind of come to you and make those decisions of those products. So on shape is, of course, something that you can try. You know, one of those loops that's available directly within on shape goes out to generative design. And what that will do is that will lightweight and remove material from your design. So you can say, hey, I have these structural constraints and other constraints in my design. I made this three-legged stool. I'm gonna send it off to generative design. Generative design based upon those constraints can either return you, it could be like a normal looking stool, but it only has the amount of mass of the material that you need. Or if you wanna build it through additive, it can even return this like crazy organic structure that will use like the minimal amount of material to hold whatever weight you wanna hold out of the stool, uh, you know, as an example. So that's called lightweighting and you can lightweight and use generative design for other things. So that's one subroutine. So another subroutine would be with Arena where you're actually managing the bill of materials. So you can do bomb roll-ups where you can do a subroutine out to component databases. Like if you need a capacitor, you could go out to Silicon Expert or Octopart or another catalog. And then that'll return component data to you. And it will tell you form fit, function costs, supply chain risk, footprints, recyclability, reach rows, hazmat compliance, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, and what we're working on is to be able to do similar with materials. Like we're starting with our partner, Ansys Granta, to be able to offer similar loops from our home systems. But now, of course, not just restrict to one vendor, but allow similar loops to other vendors as well. So those are things that you can try out today. You know, the on-shape generative thing's really cool. That's a fun one to toy with, you know, right away. So I recommend starting there. That's amazing tools. It really just makes the job so much easier for designers to really get into the details of those sorts of things to find those efficiencies when it's not right in front of you. I love the generative design. We play around with that a lot because especially when you're reducing materials, you could play around with it a lot. You could design multiple different CAD files and then do all the analysis, run all the FEA tests to right. see if it would break or not, or you can just ask the AI robot to do it for you and figure out what's the best metric for this particular hinge or model or corner or whatever it is. And bam, it shoots it out for you. And over time, these tools are getting more powerful. You mentioned that you're coming out with more tools for materials and sustainability, more catalogs, more vendors that are coming on board with these sorts of things. Your software is all cloud-based, so you can continue to roll up these features automatically in the back end, which is great because at the end of the day, you can learn a structure, you can learn these tools, you can get good at what's there today. You can use some of these things to your advantage if you're not already, but know that over time, there's going to be more and more offerings that are coming to the table, making your job and making a sustainable product easier, more efficient, better for the environment, all these sorts of benefits over time and growing as the software evolves. Yeah, there, there's a massive amount of venture capital that's going into material databases and material management. Of course, they're all SaaS-based too, which is nice. So our approach is that's a market of its own. As PTC, we need to connect to it. So your CAD systems, your home system, your PLM systems, your home system, and you should be able to work in that system and pull on that data whenever you need to, how often you need to, and in a format that you can understand and make a decision on. That's sort of the direction that you know we're taking to help designers take advantage of all of this sustainability data that's available early in your design decisions. Dave, much appreciated for all your words of wisdom around sustainability today. Looking forward to chatting to you again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks and take care. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo, and Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Thanks for joining and see you next time.